0: Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 6 of the Strongcast. This episode features an incredible interview with Swede Burns. Sweet is the founder and creator of 5th Set for Powerlifting earning him coach of the year honors in 2016. He's also an elite FTS columnist and the owner of Keyhole Barbell. In this episode, Kevin and Swede are going to talk about the 5th Set methodology the similarities between their two training programs and why RPE doesn't always indicate what you think it does Make sure you're following Kevin on Instagram at kwcan, tps at t- TPS Malden, and visit the gym's website at TotalPerformanceSports.com. Here we go. Hey, what's up? This is Kevin Can from Boston StrongCast. This is episode number six, and today we got Swede Burns, who is the 2016 Powerlifting Watch Powerlifting Coach of the Year. Uh, say hi to everyone, Swede.
1: Hey,
0: Alright, sweet. Uh let's start things off. Uh tell everybody a little bit about yourself, how you get into powerlifting and whatnot.
2: How I got into powerlifting. Alright. Uh, when I was young I did I did wrestling, like in middle school, working in high school. And I got I got kicked out of a couple of high schools and put into correctional schools and eventually I got put in had a powerlifting program. They didn't have any real sports like wrestling or anything at that time. In terms of just in a girl shit and powerlifting. And I had already listed, since I was maybe 12 or 13, I started real young, I got a weight set for Christmas one year, and, and uh, so it kind of made sense for me to get into that, there was a, was like a teacher coach who was Jim Davis, actually, I still remember, he was a, he was a power, he competed in thing, I believe, and he, he set it up and put it all together, and we had school records and all that, and uh, we did meets and everything too, and... So yeah, that was my first taste of powerlifting. I did my first competition when I
0: was 16, I think maybe 10th grade, something like that. What year was this? And then, 1996. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been yeah 20 something years that I've been
2: doing this shit. But I did have a little, I had a little hiatus from powerlifting where I did, I did bodybuilding. Okay. And what was going on with that? When, when I got out of high school, um. Well, out high school, I was dealing with a lot of different shit uh, in terms of like anxiety, depression, and all that. And for a little while, bodybuilding gave me the illusion of control. You know, I just I, I sought out as much information as I could about the human body, how everything worked, and nutrition, diet, and all that. And it sort of, it just kind of gave me a false sense of control of what was going on. I control, I could control my body weight, my body fat percentage, you know, like putting on muscle stuff like that. So I kind of shifted the obsession that way. And in that regard, it gave me, you know, relief for a time. And eventually, it became like another, it became self-obsession, which is, you know, the root of all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and even in bodybuilding, I, that was when I first learned to kind of turn the camera around and start helping other people. When I did that, when I took the focus off myself, I focused more on what I could do to help other people, that stuff just kind of went away. I just didn't have those issues anymore. And uh, as long as I've been able to do that, I haven't had any issues. As long as I've been able to kind of keep the focus on helping other people, so that's what I've been doing for, you know. It, it, you know, obviously, there's been periods of time where, <laughs> where it wasn't just that, but, you know, that's... That's always been sort of a coping mechanism for me, is helping other people, and that's why I was such a good fit as a coach, even much better than
0: an athlete. Yeah, I mean for me too. Like with powerlifting, like it's that one thing where, you know, you're forced to control emotions because, you know, when the weight gets heavy, you tend to get a little bit, a little bit scared, or uh, you get overly excited at times. But it, it kind of forces you to always bring yourself back to the middle, and I think it can definitely help with the, uh, with the mood stuff. Uh, from that aspect no
2: doubt about it if uh, anything for me i think the other stuff i've been through in my life has helped with power i think more power to help with the other stuff because you know, i've been in situations where you know, if i could control you know, my actions and emotions uh you
0: know would have been really dangerous so right right you know that that, that, kind of <laughs> that carried over into lifting it's not that big a deal yeah <laughs> no being able to Right. I, I came from an MMA background, which I did for 10 years. So when I first got into the lifting part of it, it was hard to get amped up enough because I wasn't going to get punched in the face. So it was like that kind of opposite thing, yeah, like right. where was. I was just like so calm that it just it wasn't working out at the time. And I had to find that like that balance. Um, that switch. Yeah. that? And that's, that's, that's a, that's a tightrope, too, because you know, I see a lot of people that are just far too emotional with their lifting. You
2: know, there's just too much psych be able to kind of turn that, turn that switch in a way that's effective where you can keep the focus on the bar and it's not just like unbridled
1: emotional, you
0: know? Right, it's actually harder to recover from if you're psychologically amped up all the time too, and if you get so psychologically amped up that you forget what you're sure. supposed to do underneath the barbell you can get fucked up.
2: Sure, like training, yeah, you're right. It, 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 you know, there's a lot more stress like CNS-wise. But, you know, the other side of that, in you know, the me, you know, you obviously you want to do as much as you can See, that's why I've been in any competition, but it's a matter of, like you said, breakdown, technical breakdown and stuff. But if you can't, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not going to help you if it costs you to forget all the things that you want. Just spatial and technical information that your body sort of knows from, from
0: doing everything so much. Yeah, exactly. It kind of goes out the window. If you get too psyched, too you get too freaked out. It kind of just falls into pieces. Right, and, like, you know, one of the things, like, Boris Chico is the only powerlifting coach I've ever had, and, like, one of the things that's been, like, drilled into me in my training is every repetition needs to look and act the same as it would in the platform. Uh so like literally like whether it's 50%, 60%, 70% or I'm going for a max like my psychological arousal tends to be kind of in the same place all the time. And I noticed from you know when I was just fucking around with weights and stuff before like even though my volume's gone way up, like my ability to handle the heavier weights, my ability to uh recover from the heavier weights and just not get like Psyched out from it and stuff and just kind of approach it as if it were a training day on the platform Uh, I I tend to do much better at meets now than I was previously and stuff and I feel like that psychological approach has really helped me a lot in my training
2: We really we really see eye to eye in that regard in that That's something that I'm very big on we we treat every single rep of every single set The same way that you would an attempt on the platform In fact, when we're doing sets of successive repetitions, like say, you know, a set of five, or even an MRAP for like all my program, every set, every rep within that set is treated as a series, it's all a series of successive singles. You know, and I coach, I coach that we have a checklist. And that check. you go through that checklist every single rep, you know, like air, neck, brace, squat for, for squat, for example. You have different like sort of mantra type cues that you'll repeat over and over and over. And the, the, the end result, you know, is, you know, technical perfection, hopefully. You know, it takes it's a period of time and then there's, when there's breakdown and you need to constantly monitor it and get the corrective cues and all that too, but we absolutely treat every single rep exactly the same. When the second you go to the bar, you know, I'll have some people that'll be like, oh, well, I can't get to depth correctly without weight on the bar or I can't, you know, do that well. And maybe you
0: don't need to put any more weight on the bar until you can do that. So, right, so no. Every, exactly. Every single rep needs to needs to be identical because, I mean, look at it like this too doing a set of five repetitions, right? Yeah.
1: do
2: what I see when I see somebody do a set of five is, is something like this. The first two reps are pretty good. The third rep, not so good and fourth and fifth, they're shit. So now, in that scenario, we're looking at 60% of that person's training is shit. So
0: they're, they're training themselves to suck 60% of the time. Right? Yep. So, why not? Rather than do, I'd rather see them cut the cut, set at two
2: if that was really going to be the case. And, uh, you know... You know, just again, and again, and again, reset. Make sure you're fully braced before you initiate the movement, so that the movement can be identical. Rep to rep has to be identical. In fact, when I'm asking for feedback, I don't from from training partners or other people I'm working with that are helping me, I, I've never really even asked for anything other than was that consistent, was, Were those identical, you know? Because the rest of the stuff I have a pretty good handle on when I watch the video, you know? That's what I want to know, is something, something falling apart because then I can address
0: it within the workout, within that session. Right. So so in, that's, that's, in that's Chico's work, that's actually... What's that? Actually, that's my perspective on that. So
2: I agree with him on, on most things. I think you're going to find that if you look at his stuff and my stuff, a lot of it's very similar in that we're both kind of honoring,
1: you know, who I've been we're training the same percentage ranges most of the year. Right. Um, which is not maximal,
0: you know? Yep. But uh, what were we going to say? So actually with uh, Chico's stuff, this gets translated, it's called extrapolation. So what he talks about is the same thing that you're talking about is if every rep is repeated the same, you're building a stable movement pattern. So in that same scenario that you used, if the first two reps look good and then it starts to go to shit, you've basically just trained four different movement patterns. And it makes that lifter's, say, squat pattern unstable. So it breaks down easy underweight. The issue is that most of the work is bad. Exactly. Most of them are are suboptimal patterns. And you're right.
2: Squat, for example, very complex movement pattern. Bench press maybe more than any other lift. You know, and, and, and powerlifting, highly technical. You know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of
1: kinetic energy transfer. Yep. You know, there's stuff. You know, everything has to be exactly right every rep in order for you to really be training that correctly. Because you want, like you said, know, it's a complex to learn motor unit recruitment pattern. Right. You know, these things are like it become it becomes
2: a thoughtless thing, but it doesn't start that way. And there's a lot of work, you know, in the interim. It, it nothing nothing can be half-assed. Everything has to be exactly the way it, it, it should look. You know, and if it's not, you know, it is what it's not.
0: Right. Exactly. You're not, you're not able to do it. You know I mean? if You're working in the in the correct
2: percentage ranges. I find these issues sort of sort themselves out. But yeah. most people are conditioned now at this point in powerlifting to believe that they need to be in like you know a 90 plus range to effectively develop strength. And that is just absolutely not the case. And it's not the way to develop an athlete for a sport of powerlifting. In my
0: opinion. No, it's too it's risky. Developing.
2: anybody that's training for powerlifting, it's, you know, it's maximal attempts with bands, chains, you know, accommodating resistance devices they really no business using,
0: you know. Right. And, like, what, what I see a so lot I'm here, like, too, is we have a lot of, you know, high-intense, high-volume programs where they're just doing the competition lifts all the time, but they might be doing, you know, two or three sets, over 90% of three to four repetitions, which is too many. They all look like shit. They're, the squats are fucking high, and then they're going on Instagram and calling it an RPE six and a half. Like the, right. there are ways that you can use that lighter weight so a lot of times with us in our training anytime we hit 90% that's when we might pull out a board on the bench or a slingshot or blocks on the deadlift and if we want to make something harder we'll pause on the squats, we'll control tempo so you can use lighter weight, keep technique the same and still get that tr- same training effect you would at greater than 90% without it just turning to shit realistically you can get the same greater training effect at lower percentages yeah exactly A better term. Right. It gives you more if you have the opportunity
2: anytime, but for let's say for part of the year to get under the bar in an effective strength training percentage range and do more volume load, why would you not want to do that? It's more opportunity to practice. It'll reinforce those those uh, you know, murder unit recruitment patterns that we were talking about.
0: Exactly. It's not like it's not like the ninety percent
2: works that is better, it really doesn't. in fact in a risk reward scenario the risk is far too high for that to make sense anywhere
0: beyond maybe a peaking cycle for competition in my Correct. I agree. And, and I can I can tell you that in, in, in the testing that I've done, which
2: is, you know, extensive, I have a tremendous amount of data, the I've worked with over the last, you know, twelve years. And you know, more and more coming in every day. Since the first book was released, it's just I, I got more information in the last three years from the first book, from feedback from people with neat, you know, attempt selection and everything else. and, and success rate and all that. I got more in, in the last, maybe even two 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 and a half years, something like that, than I did in the three years prior, just because of the volume, the volume of people that are using the program. So, I mean, we've been able to kind of fine-tune and make some minor adjustments, but what it comes down to is exactly what you would expect. You know, the results are exactly what you would expect, and you don't, or exactly what I would expect, I should say. <laughs> you don't need to train in that high percentage range all the time. You just don't. I mean, you can develop the strength without ever even going there, and then when you go there... An excellent opportunity to move more into specific preparedness, bring down fatigue, and actually prepare for competition. Exactly. So you can address all of those needs, that, the specific needs of competition, all at once in a very short period of time and very effectively. You know, I mean, it's been it's been proven again and again
0: and again. Right, and and I don't like really get it. no, me either. And with exertion load, right. So if I take a double at eighty-five percent, that second rep's going to be harder than a single at ninety percent, anyways. So you can yeah. figure out your volume in ways in which the exertion load is actually going to be greater. For a greater volume of repetitions, training at those intensities that you were talking about.
2: In terms of intensities and relative intensities, and you know, percentage ranges shifting, you know, the value itself shifting within the course of a another a cycle. In my opinion, that is absurd. I don't. like When someone says RPE, I'm like RPE. I don't give a fuck what the RPE is <laughs> because if you're, if realistically, let me just let me just say, this, if your capacity, your ability, to, you know, to perform. Is that dramatically impacted by fatigue throughout the course of a cycle? Fatigue is too high, and you're in a dangerous place. So the program itself, there's an issue with that. Right. Okay, you're just you're, you're you're flirting with too much uh, training load. Now I, I have very concentrated blocks of training load. You know where we're applying concentrated blocks of, of, of loading of volume. Where fatigue is going to get pretty high, but it never gets to a really dangerous point because if it Apps,
0: right 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 which is a, a fairly accurate way to determine if you're carrying too
2: much fatigue right because you've already done some stuff ahead of time the other aspect of that that's pretty beneficial is the first four sets on the, the fifth set protocol being where it is in the percentage ranges for the different protocols on there okay it's a really good it provides a really good neural adaptation effect in that the fifth by the fourth and fifth set performance is better than it was in the first even okay because it kind of like I said greases there's an activation, there's a moral activation effect to that, where it just kind of, you get better and better at it as you go, and it prevents breakdown in the set. So it allows you to go further than you ever would have gone by doing more work beforehand, which seems counterintuitive, but if you understand the mechanisms at
0: play, it makes sense. It does make sense. And I mean, mean, if if you watch it happen in a workout,
1: you'll see. If you go in in like the group on Facebook, there's 500
2: people in there talking about, you know, how it works for the We all pretty much come up with the same thing. So I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it's a phenomenon. It's, it's, you know, there we, be we, we reasons to explain why we think this is happening. And it makes sense. It's logical. But, I mean, there's no way to really, and you know, nobody can say this is exactly what's going on. But the bottom line is it, it does work that way. It does happen.
1: Right. The,
2: the, you'll see And as you, what, what's really interesting is as we accumulate fatigue in later mesocycles, throughout the course of the macro cycle, like, for example, I have a chart in the second book. It kind of it gives you, it's got a graphic, it's a really, it's like a really good graphic that describes how fatigue is accumulated throughout the course of the mesocycles where, you know, it starts off very low and it gets to a, a moderately high level by the fifth microcycle and then we do a, a six microcycle to deload. So it will drop a little bit but never get anywhere near where it was to start. Okay. You know? And then by the second, the end of the second mesocycle, you know, five more micros it's, it's much higher than it ever was before, and then after that, after that deload, it's still higher than it ever was, you know, throughout the first uh, as a cycle. So you can see that there's a, there's a cumulative effect as that goes on. So into the third and so forth. By the end of the third, fatigue is really high. So, I mean, it becomes difficult to get through the sessions to the so much volume. However, there is a sort of corrective effect to those first four sets, that percentage range because they're all cut very short they're nowhere near what you could do
0: right you know? so they're all like they're, there's reps in reserve there and right and very much so They're 75% for sets of three okay alright perfect with the, with the emphasis being on bar speed and technical perfection so
2: yeah so and, and I find that this brings about a sort of corrective effect so that whereas you would not really be able to perform that well pushing further for more repetitions, you're able to do so. In the
1: right. beginning,
2: the, the mo- most feedback that I get is in the beginning of those sessions in the third meso, people are like, I don't feel like, in the beginning, I didn't feel like I was gonna make it through, I didn't think I was even gonna get to the fifth. And then I get to the fifth and, fly and it's flying and it's way better than any other sets and I'm able to perform a lot better. So it does, it kind of, there's is, there is a safety effect to it because you're still, one of one of the normal effects of fatigue is that technical breakdown is a lot more likely.
1: Right. This seems to correct for that. Okay. So that's
2: that's the most interesting that's the most interesting aspect of the whole you know, the whole proposition is that by doing this, it seems to correct and take away some of the danger of carrying the higher levels of fatigue. So so that's that's cool in and of itself. But the, the volume loading in that way, the step loading of it, allows you to stay in a fatigue state allows you to stay overreached for an extended period of time far longer than you would ever normally want to do and we played with this and experimented a lot to get to this point to, to what was going to work playing the numbers for most people. And this is what seems to work for most for most people. And there's there's a, there's a leeway because I find that what you have to do and what you're able to do, are, there's a valley between those two.
0: Right. You know what I mean? Yep, so 100%. So if, if we try to stay towards the side of what you have to do, you can do that a lot longer. And the result is... It's, it's a lot more profitable of a of an endeavor that way. I mean, it sounds a lot less likely. A lot less likely of people getting injured, you know. Um, and you get the same you get the same return. Right. You know, it's,
2: it's you know it's a, it's a big investment though to tell somebody you know Americans are very short sighted.
0: I couldn't agree more. We we
2: want we want instant gratification. We want right now. I want to train for three weeks and I want a PR.
0: Right, and like so a thirty pound PR. PR. Give them the potential
2: for that in the rep PRs on the AMRAPs, But I, I but then I make it once you already got the hook in I make it clear that like I don't really care if you have a rep PR. It's really more it's really more of a protective indicator for fatigue for me. But it, it gives you something to shoot for I absolutely absolutely want to shoot for it.
0: And it kind of fills and that like psychological need to kinda of go balls out too. I I can see that.
2: Also, well, that, that, and then also, it accommodates the needs of people with higher recoverability and adaptability, people that are going to be far right of the uh, bell yeah. curve for, for sports performance, because, you know, we are not all created equal nope. by any means. You know I mean? How many people make it to the NFL from high school football?
0: Right, exactly. Right, and,
2: right, and there's differences between those two. There's a difference between, you know, an eagle and a sparrow. It is what it is. I mean, it's not going to hurt anybody's feelings, right. but the thing is, you don't need to, to train the eagle. 10 times harder than Starra. Right. What I've found is if we f- that if we find a happy medium, and you get people that are responders, that are the far right of the bell curve, the elite, the 1%, the, you know, the .01%, and you train them the same way you would that 60% margin in the middle of the bell curve, they do a lot better than they ever would any other way. Because the, the people that are the most gifted and the most talented have a propensity to do the
0: stupidest shit you can imagine in training. Oh yeah, I know they, a they few can, of those. And they convince themselves that the reason
2: that they're so special and so much stronger is because they made up some stupid fucking workout. You know? And, and it takes a while before they try and sell it to other people and then you see what happens. Everyone else just gets injured. No one does well with it but you. You know, like the, the Joe Dickhead training method. Like, oh, I just did a 2200 total. Check out my new training method. And everybody tries it. And, like,
0: you know? And nobody can do it. <laughs> because, you're not, because you're not Joe Dickhead. <laughs> you are not Joe that guy. You know what I mean? Right, it's, exactly. It's not what he's doing. He's good in spite of what he's doing, not because of it. Yep. a very important distinction to make. So and I, I think a lot of people, too, at that top end, what people don't realize is, like, a lot of these people just live in the fucking gym. They don't have jobs. Like, I, you know, I have lifters who compete on the national stage who they have physical jobs. They do shift work, and they're just not going to be able to do some of the stuff that some of these other guys who literally they just – Eat, sleep, and live at the gym all day long. Like, these are regular fucking people. Nobody's making a living off of this sport for the most part. Um, and, and, you know, it's and, not worth getting hurt.
2: Even if we maximize all of the modifiable factors for success, right? You're still never going to get, you know, the average guy to perform. You're never going to get, you know, the average high school football player to right. perform on that NFL level. No matter what. Even if you get the best supplements,
0: the best training, you get enough sleep. You know, you're, Absolutely. Absolutely. Lions and lambs, you know what I mean. Yep. So you have to kind of, for us as you know, as coaches, our job is to kind of find something that's going to work for the middle, and then can be modified to go up both directions easily. Great point. So that, that 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 would be the ideal. If you want to
2: help the most people, that would be the goal. So that's what I've that's what I've shot for, and I have. You know, obviously I got everything I got everybody from fucking like JP just total twenty two eighty raw. Yeah, you know. Sick. Ellen Stein Ellen Stein's sixty five years old winning Olympia, you know, single five, you know. Also also won for her weight class at the Arnold. Not in the sixty five year old division. Again, it's the
0: girls that are twenty five and thirty that are sponsored by Elite, you know? Like this that, <laughs> is That's know, fucking sick. Yeah, sixty
2: five year old woman well, kicking everybody's ass. The thing is they're doing the same shit. Right. They're running the same stuff. They're in the same program. So it's like it's, I think that we have, we run away with this, this this concept of individual differences and individuality. And while that is a very good selling point for trainers and programmers and so forth, the, the reality of it is that as a coach, the biggest things that you're going to have to identify and correct for are anatomical variance, limb length, technique, things like that. Yeah, you know, right. changing things for in terms of recoverability after a period of running a type of programming. Sure, maybe you have to make some minor adjustments. But if the program is that overwhelming, it probably is more of an indicator that like where it needs to be changed on a weekly or monthly basis. It's probably more of an like, dramatic change. I'm
0: saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, period. I I get what you're saying. It's more it's more of an indicator that the coach has no fucking idea what they're doing in that <laughs> than it is that you're getting like super duper really good service. You know. Right. <laughs> like, right. Modify your
2: program. It's great for client retention, but it's really not necessary for the most part. It, it should be. It's more of a sign that, you know, you don't really have a very good handle on programming.
1: Because right. People
2: are not that different from person to person. It's like the guy who goes to the cardiologist. He's like, oh, I got something's wrong with my heart, doc. And he's like, okay, well, you know, we're going to give you an echocardiogram. You know, and the guy
1: goes to the doctor, oh, well, I, I don't know if that's the right test for my heart. Right. It's the right <laughs> test for your, it's, it's for your fucking heart. You know, you're, you're a human being. We do have some differences, you know, between us.
0: Right. But they're not—they're not that dramatic for the most part. I mean, certainly among competitive lifters. No, and like even yeah. the—you know—the individual differences. That the principle of individual differences is the, by far the least important um, aspect. You know, I think lighter lifters can handle a little bit more volume than heavier lifters, stuff like that. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's minutia. What do you think the reason for that is? That They can handle more. It's relative volume, right? Because, yeah. Yeah. And the exactly for that is they're handling much lighter loads exactly. for the most part and it's the same thing for women and you know
2: we want to bring in this we want to believe this concept that women are so dramatically different from men that they have to train more frequently certain body parts those. Right. I, I think
0: Yeah, they're doing less damage. You know, human, being, human, human beings were not meant to have twelve hundred fucking pounds on their back. It's right. warm. You know,
2: we're not we can we can accommodate that over a period of time and by you know, by doing everything right, but you were not meant to do that by any means, you know. Uh, like you know, a human being was not meant to hold six hundred pounds at best press and raw. It's just we're not we're not designed for that.
0: It goes against everything that we're doing. Right, <laughs> but that's that should be doing with that's the fun thing. part of the sport though. At the end of the day, everybody, you know, there's not that many that are doing those feats that you mentioned now. And, you know, everybody else in the middle is kind of the same person. You know, they need to build some muscle mass. They need to work on some technique. They need to practice their sport. They need to work hard and stick with it and not get fucking hurt.
2: And even the, even the ones that are on that end where you're doing the other side of the things we're talking about, most, most of the time I have them doing the same shit that the
0: people in the middle are doing. Right. It doesn't need to be that much different. It really doesn't. It's relative to percent the percentages will increase because their max has increased. Right, exactly. You know, and the max is a pretty stable figure. So using a training max for me, like, if you're modifying a training max on a week-to-week or regular basis, there's something wrong with that. Yep, And agreed. that's my personal opinion. There's people that do very well with it, and I know that there's, there's, a,
2: there's a handful of guys that use the RPE-type system and do really well with that, too. As far as, like, your rate of perceived exertion and how hard that felt, like, I don't fucking care how you
1: feel. I really don't. <laughs> <laughs> the, only thing, the type of feedback I needed, I'm going to be able
2: to see visually.
0: Exactly. Our, sport, our speed and how you're able to perform. Yep. But telling me it was easy, hard, it's more of a, it's more, it's giving me more of a look into how hard of a person you are right. than how much fatigue you're supposed carry. It's you know? too subjective. I got, that, I got people that'll do shit and they're under you know, a tremendous amount of
1: fatigue. And they're not going to bitch. You know what I mean? They're just, that's not how they're wired. Right. So I, well, you know, I did it, I don't know how so it felt so good, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a guy like JP or Greg, you know, they're never going to say that, they're never going to say <laughs> right. that you know, to was, was like, oh, him, you know, it's not going to really happen, you know what I mean, yeah, like, yeah, I hear you, know, you. but I've doing it very much the same as
2: what most people do, I mean, obviously there are minor guys, and like, even like a meat the guy that, that, that I've worked with, where, Okay. That's technically a training use for an extended system Texas process. Okay. We run that for a while. It would probably work really good for a while, maybe even months, maybe even six months, Then eventually it would start to not work as well. So you'd make some good progress, and then it would kind of start to decline. So the idea is we, we want to prevent that decline by changing it. That's one way to address the law of accommodation. However, the, that, that hand-handed approach I was talking about involves people that are rotating exercises every week, right. every third week. And the problem I see with that is the, the aspect that doesn't get addressed, which is the neural adaptation effect to, to training, where the training potential for a training means, any training means, will increase before it declines, right. always. You get better at doing the movement, and then you're able to effectively use it <laughs> to bring about adaptation. Exactly. Okay. But if you're up to changing it before you really get good at it, not really gonna get you're never you're never getting all the juice out of out of, out of the fruit,
1: you
0: know. Right. If I couldn't I never, couldn't agree more. I think yeah, the you're never getting
1: nearly, nearly
0: what you could. And the other problem with that too is if you're constantly changing exercises, how do you know what fucking worked? Like you just you don't, right. you're kinda just throwing darts at a dartboard.
2: <laughs> right, it's randomness, it's randomness. I have a... Uh, I I have a what's called an MSM, we, we, I call it my MSM sequence system, okay, which is where I do rotate assistance work. I don't rotate the main work because I believe for the sport of powerlifting, you know, obviously specificity in any, in training for any sport is very important. Correct. It becomes certainly more so important as you approach competition, less important in the off season. But for the sport of powerlifting, all we do is bench press, squat and feather, so it's a it's
0: read. What would be an example of one? I'll give you a really good example uh, on bench press. Say you would do your main work regular in the competitive bench press, right? Yep.
2: What is the most what is the most vulnerable thing in a raw bench press
0: on a human body? What would you say? What is most likely to get injured? The pecs of the front delts. Right. Absolutely. Right. So, what would be a good way to mitigate that risk? Uh, so, for developmental work, we'll do something like chest flies, but we'll do like long pauses on the bench. We'll do something within the bench press movement to build up the pecs and front delts. Well, okay, yeah,
2: certainly developing developing those muscles, and I'll I'll get to that in a
0: minute. Okay. But
2: for what what I'm looking for, is is a way to apply additional volume, which is going to be, it's going to have good dynamic correspondence to the main movement. And when I use the term dynamic correspondence, what I mean is it's going to have really good carryover into that lift. Okay. Okay. So we want something where the bar path is almost identical. It's as similar as we can get it. So maybe a board
1: press would be a good choice okay. for that, because it, it would allow us to add a little bit of additional
0: volume in a very safe way, because it's reducing the back and front the, delts. Yeah,
2: it's a portion of, the movement. You have to portion of the movement where you're most at risk. Right. Okay. Of injury, because you're already yeah because of the precedent work the stuff you've already done in that session. You know
0: what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get, I get what
2: so you're going would be a mechanically similar movement and depending on what stage of training you're in, that would that would be what dictates what that training means is. like for example, it might start as a two board for fifteen reps for three sets. okay far out you know maybe in the first meta cycle. as we get to the third it might be where you're doing two sets of five to a one board with the same weight that you're using for your bar weight on your main work. okay, you know so say whatever whatever it comes out to, the percentage that you're working with, like 75, say, plus 20, four microcycles in, you know, 75% plus 20 pounds, that's what you whatever you just did all your work with, three or five sets prior to that, you're going to do it for two more, Okay. you know, adds an additional 10 repetitions, so it allows you to safely go beyond even the limits of prolepium. Right. In, in my opinion, and from what I've seen with the experimentation I've done, as long as we respect that sequencing... You know, and the idea of the law of accommodation and always, the the, the problem with the law of accommodation and another issue with that, with the the random rotations is, in order for it to fix the problem, changing something, you need to switch to a training means that has a higher training potential than the precedent training means, than the one before it, right? Correct. Because if you just switch to to something that's equal or lesser, it's not going to do anything. Really won't it won't it won't bring about any adaptation. That's the problem because that training potential is lower than what you're switching from. Right. So you need to switch to something higher. And then the big thing people say is, well, why don't we just start with the highest training means? Because where do you go from there,
0: The, the roads the roads from there do not take you anywhere you want to go. You have to go less. <laughs> once, once you, Which is exactly you what you don't want to do. Highest training means. There's there's, there's 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 basically you're gonna stall or get injured. Right. So we start
2: with the lowest the lowest and hopefully it's gonna do, we start like staying in a first cycle something that's going to build a capacity that is going to enhance the effect of subsequent mesocycles. Right. So in other words, we might want to be trying to stimulate very specific hypertrophy that's specific to say for the bench press. You know, we might be doing high reps on boards because we, we want to stimulate hypertrophy. It's going to be beneficial to the bench press. Right?
1: Right.
2: And then from there, we would move into actually turning that more into a strength adaptation in, in subsequent mesocycles. So by doing that, I find that we can very easily sequence the assistant stuff. It'll prevent any type of stalling or any type of like, down-regulation of training potential. And this can be done for years and years and years, and I've done it you know, again and again with people who make making consistent progress. It's just most of the issues with training come from
0: a lack of forethought, from what I can see, a lack of a big-picture view. Yeah, absolutely.
2: People, people, are look, people are looking at a very small picture Uh,
0: of what's going on, you know, right. And they don't, yeah, they don't see that bigger picture. I like what you said with the boards because with Shiko, what we'll tend to do is so, you know, we'll have double lift sessions on a given day. So I might have like a longer pause first on the bench, uh, and hit my volume there. So it might be like 75% for some doubles or triples or something, depending on the pause length. Then I'll go squat or deadlift or whatever. And then I come back to the board and get more volume that way. So it's kind of like what you said, like the lighter one happens first and then we get that excess volume later on with the boards, and it, you know, doesn't beat the lifter up so much, and it just allows, allows them yeah, to I mean, accumulate so much time. more volume.
2: It's a safer way to, to continue to to apply volume to, to add training work. Now, for me, I one thing I point I want to touch on, I think is very important, it's often overlooked. Almost all of the work, but certainly all the main work, in a given training session for any programming that I do in my method is done in the same percentage range. And when I say that, I mean in a very, very narrow margin of changes for the range of percentage that we're using. And the reason for that is I believe that if you're to, if you're to train in dramatically different percentage ranges for strength, in other words, say like some work at 70, some work at 90, it's, the adaptations interfere. It interferes with the, with the stuff that's, that, uh,
1: yeah.
2: the way that those adaptations are brought about. It's not as effective. I think it's much better picking a certain percentage when training that for a period of time in a progressive manner, maybe increasing that over a period of microcycles or another cycle of and then
0: right. ideally you're working you
2: working towards, you know, the finished product being that you're gonna be able to execute, you know, flawless lifts at beyond one hundred percent of what the training max was for that cycle. And I'm able to do that every I'm able to do that every time, I'm able to always replicate those results. We consistently through our peaking cycles, I have the attempt selection formula uh, that we use that's been tested and even modified and changed now very slightly, minor changes based on the data. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so saw some deviations emerging from the, the bench press third attempt, so we changed that and I tested it for the last uh, almost two years, and it solved the problem. So, you know, that's we got a lot of results. We got a lot of stuff to to back this up, and it's again and
0: again every weekend. I we get more and more feedback from people that are doing these. That's awesome, yeah, man. An yeah, so yeah, basically, like the way it's that it's creating. set up, you do like um, so when you're saying you stay in certain uh, percentage uh, ranges. So basically, like one block would be a hypertrophy block, and then it, you know, obviously the like further away from um, competition, the higher accumulated volume, and then it just kind of dissipates down. And then you test before oh. a, a meet and taper, or well, the MSNs, yeah, that would, that would be more geared toward hypertrophy, and then after okay. the MSNs, we have other
2: additional assistance work that would, yes, as you said, all the geared toward hypertrophy, like for example, pull ups would start in higher in a higher uh, rep range and eventually get down to where we're doing sets of five closer to a meet, you know, rows, all that stuff would start higher and eventually get lower. However, the main work, the main work is is, is typically. You know, going to remain generally the same. It does okay. move up throughout the, throughout the course of a mesocycle. But, like for example, there's there's a few protocols. Like one, for example, would be the 75% set protocol. That one would involve doing the four sets of three followed by an AMRAP. There's also uh, a 75% technique protocol,
1: okay.
2: which would be 75% just just for five sets of three, and then additional, and then some more. However, these are progressive in that every microcycle five pounds is added to the bar. Okay. Okay. So what you end up with, what you end up with at the end of a mesocycle is more than 75%, and quite frequently it's more than 80%, depending on how strong the lifter is. You know. Yeah. Um But but I found that we need, we don't need different increment changes. It's really just about making an
1: incremental change more than anything else. And the reason that weaker people, because a big question I get is,
2: well, how can weaker people have to still move up five pounds? Like that's that's much higher on my That's a much higher percentage for me than somebody else. And the reason for that is. Weaker people have different needs than stronger people. Typically, weaker people and beginners and people that are just starting out or have a very low amount of weight on the bar are their their max is artificially lower,
1: for
2: lack of a better term. And the reason for that is they're failing for reasons that are more like reasons of stability, reasons of meagerness of body, lack of physicality. They're not developed enough, underdevelopment. Yep. Okay, their joints aren't stable. So that's what's. It's not that
0: they're not strong. Because you can put that person on a machine and they can always lift way more than they can. They just can't stabilize it. They don't have that there yet. They're trying to build that stable movement pattern. So what they need is is more
2: work. Because for 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 somebody like that who's working with an artificially lowered max, 80% for them is really not that much. Right. You know, so say they're working with 80% on bench press. They're 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 able to get 15 reps. And you're like, how the fuck are you getting 15 (laughs) reps with with 80%? Because that 80% is really huge figure
1: right but it's, it's
2: that's 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 another piece of beauty of the program is that it, it kind of it's prescriptive you know it identifies and, and, and it prescribes what you need so i mean for somebody who's weaker you get what you need what could be better than than 10 to 15 reps at
0: 80 percent for hypertrophy if that's the need you have it's true i can't think of a i can't think, I can't think of a better prescription for that right <laughs> so it's sort of it's it's,
2: it's, it's auto-regulating in a sense that it is diagnostic seen in my, you know, in the last five years, more people than I can count go from absolute beginner to top tier lifter. I mean, even examples of top ten all-time lifters and, you know, one girl in particular had never touched a bar in her life and put up a top ten all-time total five years later. Never had anything to fist that. That's sick. You know what I mean? Yes, I mean, it does work from beginning to end. Bottom line is that it,
0: it it is malleable enough Well, I think, too, you have, like you said, like, you have such a good picture of the larger picture. You don't just view things in it's, you know, I know it's written in eight weeks at a time or or four weeks at a time or whatever. But, like, I think you see the the larger picture from year one to year two. Well, that's one part. You're in a mesocycle.
2: It's about eight weeks is what it comes down to.
0: Right. But when you look at the macro cycle, that's six months. Right. You know what I mean? It's in
1: six month clips, you hear these these uh, these catchphrases, these, these uh, sound bites, that get
2: thrown around all the time. and They sound good, so it becomes popular. It's like, well, everything works for a little bit. Yeah, I mean that's true. That's what we were talking about with uh, you know training potential being lost
1: for right. various training means. However, you know if you have a big enough picture, if you have a big
2: enough view, a wide enough scope of your, your view of things, the picture becomes a lot clearer about what actually needs to change. There's really only a few factors that need to change. The things that need to change in order to keep the ball rolling are minor, and if you're able to look at the picture and intelligently address those things, the ball will never stop rolling.
0: Right. You know, you're,
2: you're limited. You're limited by genetic potential, not by training.
0: Right. And I, I think yeah, there's some good. value too to repeating a cycle. So if you do a cycle, so we might do something that's 12, 16 weeks long, and you test before a meet, and everything went well, and, and you have new maxes in all three lifts. If it worked the first time, we might just repeat the exact same cycle again and see how much more we can draw out of it before we even start making any changes to it. It just might not be necessary. Is, well, in terms of a macro cycle,
2: in terms of a six-month block for me, that's all it
0: is. You yeah. just repeat it for years
1: and years and years. Now, yeah. there are things changing, sure, on a regular basis, but they're going to change the same way next time. Your body is not that... You know, hit that it's going to catch on to the fact. That, oh, well, last time, three <laughs> right. months and two weeks in, we already did this, so I'm not going to adapt again. Right. Because it's different.
2: The, the, the training matches are different. There's different factors involved. You know what I mean? It's, your body is adapting on, in a real time
0: basis. Exactly. You know I mean, it doesn't know that you already used a different training means fucking seven months ago. Right. You know? <laughs> and every deload kind of sets you back up to be able to repeat it again, anyways, because it starts to drop a little bit of what you've accumulated over time. Or at least a peaking cycle. Or at least a peaking peak. cycle, yeah. Yeah, a
2: yeah, peaking cycle will, is the only time, really, you know, reasonably, in my opinion, that fatigue should be
0: at zero. Right. End peaking cycle. When you're stepping on the platform. It's the only time it should
2: be zero. The rest of the time, we should be building in a way that's going to be beneficial to the athlete,
0: to, the asset, to the lifting in this case. Right. You know. Couldn't agree more. All right, sweet. We're at 46 minutes now, so uh, I'll let you wrap up here and. Get going with the rest of your night. Uh, tell them where you're gonna, where they can find all your info, uh, where they can get Fifth Set, read your articles, and uh, find you. Okay, FifthSet.Black is sort of the
2: hub for all all things Fifth Set in terms of merchandise and everything else. The books are both available on EliteFTS.com. My column, I have an author page on EliteFTS.com with over 60 free articles on there. Um, you know, something like 150,000 words of free content. Oh,
1: shit. So
2: it's just stuff like we talked about today on this program. Um, another thing is I do seminars. We do fifth set seminars where we teach about the methodology. Myself, my partner, Greg Panora, who is one of the greatest lifters of all time, it's worth mentioning. You, know, you can't really have the conversation of the greatest lifter of all time without mentioning his name.
0: It's true. You know,
2: he's been, uh, he had the all-time world record for many years for 242 and Multiply. 21 I believe 2102 without wraps, raw, he's in, uh, what do you 2335 single, single ply. Jesus.
0: Uh, just he's been, you know, he's been a he's been a top tier lifter in every division, every aspect. And how I long has he been lifting? Thing. Same as me. Yeah. yeah. We've been friends, we've been best friends
2: for many years, but he's, you know, he's one of the greatest coaches in the United States right now, in my opinion. It's been great to see him go from somebody who was a good lifter who was kind of leaning on talent. And now somebody who's understanding the science behind everything and helping so many people where he's at out in Maine, and uh, it's really good for us to go out and just kind of spread the gospel. Fifth Set would be doing things. We have these seminars. We got a seminar coming up in Maine. If you're in Sanford, Maine, in that area, Rick House Gym, you know, check that out. And uh, yeah, we got a bunch of them. long door doorways. All the events are on the Fifth Set website, fifthset.black. We have all of our upcoming
0: events. If you want to book an event, you can contact me through the site also. All right, awesome man. And I'm, um, you know, for the listeners out there, I'm gonna vouch. I, I read Swede's Elite FTS column. It's great stuff. Uh, I was pretty excited. He was one of the first. I mean, you're literally the first guest outside of TPS that I reached out to and wanted to get on this podcast because uh, I love your stuff. I think it's great. Um, keep it up, man. I, I really, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you. It means so a lot. All right, dude. Thanks Swede, take care, man. Have a good night, brother. Thank you. All right, everyone, we're wrapping up here. Uh, See ya.